Peter Hill Explains, where I invite you to join the science teaching conversation with me about... Dmitry Medlev, a reading from uh, The Great Scientist, a coffee table book. Um, look, um, it's more a... Um, it's instructive to know uh, what our children are being taught. And when they turn their back on science, they're turning their back on a fictionalised view of dehumanised scientists who are made to look like the science demonstrators and science teachers and waiting that they stand behind them. So this is um, driven, impersonal, um, fraught with flaws, um, superficial, all sorts of things that you can easily turn your back on science. And this is one of the science communicators have such a beautiful relationship with themselves. They really want to um, love themselves because everyone has rejected them and therefore they, they go into history and invent themselves into history so they feel that they've got a context. This is really a context, an exercise in giving context to flawed science communicators. It's just this most amazing thing to read through. So when you read it, and then you go back and you read the actual history of what actually happens. So you realise, oh look, reality minus fiction equals a desperate attempt to, to, to I suppose, essentially trick children and the general public into believing um, that scientists were um, uh, of various various things. Uh, uh, there, there are these amazing stories. The way that it puts through about. Um, Babbage, who had an ear complaint and uh, died in agony with organ music outside. It's such a classic fiction. It, it could be true, but it's 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 sort of Victorianized fiction, uh, fiction of the age. The uh, Savius, the uh, surgeon who who um, slept with dead bodies, obviously a, a Renaissance friction, fiction, but it's been enough. It's been good enough to titillate school children for a short while. And of course it's got the long, long range things. Medliff, a simple, a simple story, I don't know whether they'll have it. They, they often overlook the role of Medliff's mother who uh, uh, went all across Siberia with her last money to give Medliff an education, how Medliff went into the teaching system. But they often say, oh Medliff, oh he found a better you know, how to measure vodka and, and you know, trivialise, trivialise, trivialise and really he was just there as a guest of Western science going in and, and stuff like that. Um, and the, the idea that his Mendeleev table was really a Mendeleev periodic table was really a, a periodic list. You know, if you saw it you would say that's not, not a table, it's just a, a, a shopping list. A, a docket, a, a, a chemical docket. But let's let's read what he had. To, ha, they have to say, and they often ascribe thing that, that scientists they had a love of experiment. Well, they do. But if you look at Einstein, it's a love of um, you know the data must have the data. You've got this experimentalist and the rationalists going through, and uh, what's missing from here is of course the the big. Leibniz uh, and Kant and Descartes. How, how, how could you possibly talk about Newton without talking about Descartes? I, I just 
don't understand. Okay, let's read it. It is the function of science, as if you would say this, says Dmitry Mendeleev, to discover the existence of a general reign of order in nature and to find the causes governing this order. And it was indeed Mendeleev's fate to discover such a reign of order in his development of the periodic table of chemical elements. Um, like I've got a problem like this, that um, the elements have decided that they're going to go into the periodic table, and that's it. So my first schoolboy teaching, or school child teaching of nature, that's enough, because I'm such a great science teacher. Of course, the periodic table reeks quantum mechanics. You've got the S, P, D, and F block, with each of them having a different orbital um, radial uh, nodes in each block. And then you've got the blocks divided, you know, instead of one in the S block, you've got two in the S block, split across uh, because of the idea of quantum spin, the idea that not, we don't live in one universe, we live in two. But furthermore, uh, in, across in there you have fact that the periodic table is like a, a sheet of corrugated iron in terms of of abundance. Anything with an even number of nucleons has is got a hundred times more abundance. Then you've got the fact that the periodic table is like it's got the quantity of elements swept into it by different processes. One process of fusion, um, then neut slow and fast neutron, then uh, supernova, then neutron star explosion, these washes, a bit like um, an artist throwing um, paint, coloured paint at a, a canvas, you know, uh, Pollock. There's these 860s artists which produce these beautiful, beautiful paintings, and not by hand movement, but by throwing it. You've got all this there, but child, I will not tell you anything. It's, the story is, there's as much knowledge as I know, and I will destroy anybody else who has a greater view. I will sidle up to them, smile, ha ha ha, and when they leave, close the door and say, now kids, wasn't that a stupid person? Well, they don't, they don't, they, they don't realise that they're saying that to make them feel good, and don't realise that they're condemning the people who... The scientists will go out and they close the door and they make sure that they keep a lid on the innovation of the children by telling them rubbish. Okay, now, it's hard to overstate the importance of this achievement in advancement of chemistry and science, but they're going to do that. It's hard, but we have achieved overstating. Before Mendeleev's table, the subject was in a fair amount of chaos. Oh, God. New elements were being discovered, but there was little consistency in arranging the elements in a way that made any sense. Oh, God, what's this? Um, um, Mendeleev's periodic table established an order and a clarity that transformed such chemistry. Well, let's do it. It wasn't actually a table. It was actually just a list, a, a columns of elements. It wasn't written in a table form. That got into textbooks later. But it also didn't have noble gases in it, because he didn't know about it, so... This is looking at um, without a doubt. Um, okay, um, without quite without a doubt, um, 
the periodic table of chemical elements is the most elegant organisation chart ever devised, wrote Robert E. Krebs in his book The History and the Use of the Earth's Chemical Elements. Well, what, what, what I would say is it is a Rosetta Stone of thing. People can see, um, they see the Rosetta Stone and they see civilization and uh, some, some people can see, oh, this allows us, you know, they see the Rosetta Stone in terms of, um, the, so Rosetta Stone is a stone unearthed by Napoleon's troops, which had hieroglyphics uh, and then Greek, and I think Latin. So they, they had a translation direct translation and so once they translated one bit they could go a lot further and so the Rosetta Stone has a, a role in describing the 18th century quest for knowledge but it but it it and people say that's the entire story you know the entire story is the huge civilizations which are rising up writing these different things the entire story of the periodic table is what's behind it is the actual you know, uh, if you can imagine these huge areas of science crossing over and humanity, and it crosses over in a way that's comprehensible. We see a little glimpse which is comprehensible by saying, oh, this is this, this is here, and uh, arrange it up, up. It's like planting a garden, or uh, it's like that. But there's all these huge processes going on. Now, what, you, what has been done is that people uh, have gone, right, I'm ignorant, cut, cut, cut the quantum mechanics out of quite chemistry out of it, cut the um, things. A lot of people don't understand that the F block it appears beneath the, the D block, simply because printers didn't know how to print the long periodic table. The periodic table in its pure form is too long for a textbook. So they've just cut it up. But people think there is a story for that. You know, let me, children, may I spare, um, share my ignorance with you? Okay, furthermore, by looking at the gaps in his table, Mendeleev was able to predict the discovery of new elements that were with what proved to be extraordinary accuracy. Um, okay. Uh, early life. Dmitry Ivanovich Mendeleev was born in 1834 in Tobolsk in far west Siberia, Russia. He was the youngest of 14 children, 17 or 11, depending on which source you read. <laughs> His father, Ivan, was headmaster at the local school, went blind soon after Dmitri's birth and was forced to retire. Isn't that cute? Not cute, but, you know, head school? You know, it's, it's teaching school that's in there. His pension was too small to meet the needs of such a large family, so Dmitri's mother, Maria Cornelia, uh, had no choice but to go out and work. Her family owned a glass factory in Armask, 32 kilometers from Tobolsk, which she managed in return for a modest wage. You can imagine the pre-Soviet, the, the thing going, a glass factory and... Uh, you know, you can imagine what it will be, these horses coming up and, and glass coming out of it. Um, she, they owned the factory, but for a modest wage. Well, she owned it, she paid it. Dimitri, uh, her youngest, was also Maria's favourite. And from her earliest years, she began putting money aside to send him to university. You know, 
it's not just a shapely woman who walks into a man's life. It's someone who is its child, obviously is a child, and there's this thing, the father's dead, her father's gone blind, she's working hard, and she's got this idea that, no, I'm not going to make my, you know, uh, obviously there'd be you no know, shops or lovely things to do, you no know, cinemas to waste money on. She's going to do that. It's this thing that she has felt. And is the actual ability there, or is the ability given by the love of the mum in there? This is an interesting story I like to do. Um, da Vinci went to the local school where his father had taught, but he received a practical education at his mother's glass factory, where he spent hours listening to the chemists and glassblowers discuss the secrets of glassblowing. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, and this is what I find a bit sad in that... Um, uh, say, for instance, I, I have a, a passion for chemistry and quantum mechanics. love to share it with my children. However, in this well-to-do place, um, the, the children can go off and play their Game Boy or go off and bike ride. You know, they've got so much activity to do that perhaps sometimes the lack of activity means that you're involved in the adult's life. I, I just my thought. When Dimitri was in his early teens, his family hit a, a horrible double calamity. In 1847, his father died, and the following year, the glass factory burnt down. You can imagine there would be lots of embers and mess around, and, and a lot of these factories required, you know, they had a lot of discipline in them, but the discipline in is to clean them, check safety. A lot of the, if you read North and South and stuff like that, a lot of the problem is these factories produced a lot of waste, and if you didn't actually understand this, you you would have have this problem. Um, the dreams of her son was determined. Uh, so, yet the remarkable Maria would not give up on the dreams of her son. She was determined that she would still have an education. Now, this is the entire thing: is that at school, for teaching for ten years in a science department, not one teacher ever mentioned Mendeleev's mum. What a fantastic woman. Um, the family was reduced to poverty, yet uh, the remarkable Maria would not give up on the dreams of her son. She was determined that he would still have an education. In 1849, she hitchhiked with Dimitri and her other remaining dependent children, uh, child Elizabeth all the way to Moscow, a journey of 2,000 kilometers in the hope of securing a place at the university. As a Siberian, however, Dmitri was barred from entering the Moscow universities. You can imagine, imagine that. Keep off the grass, uh, pick up the rubbish, don't leave it around rats, and, um, oh yeah, and, and no Siberians. Bloody hell, it's been far out. I just... Oh, it pisses me off completely. Siberians, every time I want to organise a party or a soiree, along comes the Siberian. Under turn, Maria led her son and daughter a further 600 kilometres to St. Petersburg, and I've done that on the, uh, the train, the Russian trains. And that was, it's now, um, was it not Leningrad? Yeah, Leningrad, Leningrad. Uh, here again, he was refused admission to university as well as to medical school. Finally, in 1850, so they, it's three years after the dad carked it and the factory burnt down, he was going to place at the city's pedological institute. Just ten weeks later, Maria died. Ugh! 
exhausted by our effort. A short time later, Mendeleev's sister expired of tuberculosis. <laughs> the young chemist. Despite these strategies, Mendeleev supplied himself deliberately to his studies. What's happened, Mendeleev? G'day, Dimitri. What's, how's it going? Ah, oh, mother spent the fa glass factory burnt down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moscow, yep, yep. Uh, travel cross, hitchhiked. You know, we didn't have the fare. We just actually got on little wagons and stuff like that. We go on the train and stuff like that. Went up to uh, Moscow. They said, bloody Siberians. Then pissed us off to... Ah, oh, just awful. Then then mum worked for a bit more, carked it. And then uh, sister, uh, she just toughed him. Um, okay. Uh, and in 1855, the age of 21... Oh, far out. He qualified, uh, oh, the birds are having a big old fight here, um, uh, he qualified as a teacher, winning the gold medal for being first in his class. How many people are in his class, I have to ask, and um, did he actually use the gold medal for anything? This achievement was made even more remarkable by the fact that he had been bedridden with tuberculosis for much of his final years. There you go. Following his graduation, he obtained an advanced degree in chemistry in 1857 and received his first university appointment. Around the time, the Russian government decided to, it was important to keep up with the Western advances in science and technology. And, and in 1859, they paid for a number of Russian scientists, including Medlev, to study in Europe. Now, of course, one could not imagine that what a backwater, you know, Russia was putting down its revolution revolutions, Europe was a little bit of a, you know, an the Industrial Revolution really wasn't happening, simply because uh, Russians had a number of things. One is they didn't have a financial system. Uh, for, they didn't have the the Jew... Oh, the Napoleonic Wars... Uh, um, the, the Napoleonic Wars was a revolution in Britain and Europe in financing, bond rates and stuff like that, displacement of Jews and stuff like that, really got the financial system. So Russia didn't have the financial system, didn't have capitalism, they had feudalism uh, there, they had the, the beautiful poets and the working in the fields and the peasants, but they still had the peasant, the peasant uh, economy going on. And so you had this, uh, and uh, there was a dreadful cold, it's a bloody cold place. Um, Mendeleev spent two years at the University of Heidelberg and Paris, where he met some of the leading scientists of the age, including chemist Robert Bunsen. G'day. Uh, not. Yep. Uh, Rob, Rob here. Uh, Rob, um, can I borrow a Bunsen burner? Sure thing. Matter of fact, I've just invented it. Here you go. Uh, Benson, uh, sorry, Bunsen, Victor, Henry Victor Rugner, um and uh, Stanislo Canzano, a physicist Gustav Kirchhoff. There's Kirchhoff's law and stuff like that. Through studying and conversing with these figures, mentalists learned much about things, about the density of gases, the methods of determining chemical composition of substances, atomic weights, all of which greatly influenced his later work. Way back in the USSR, at St. Petersburg, Mendeleev continued to teach and found time for writing. And in 1861, he published... Organic Chemistry, a prize-winning textbook that greatly raised his standing in the Russian chemistry education in 1864. And you can imagine that, because um, a teacher comes along and you say, uh, oh, here's my book. This book is by an 
absolute, absolute moron. Uh, but let's open to page 36. You can't say it. You have to. If you write a textbook and they use the textbook, they have to as part of ingratiating themselves and ingratiating the author. It's amazing. Um, okay. In 1864, he's appointed professor of chemistry at the Chemical Institute. And three years later, he was made professor of general chemistry at St. Petersburg University, an institution that had rejected him 17 years before. Uh oh, <laughs> sorry, I must rejected you. Discovering that he lacked a textbook to meet his needs, oh, I don't have a textbook. And Mendeleev set about writing his own. I'd better write one myself. Uh, the result was The Principles of Chemistry, 1869. It became a classic work, going to eight editions in Mendeleev's lifetime. Uh, organising the elements, but yeah, okay. Uh, Organising the elements. Um, there's also a th fact that universities love textbooks written by university people. Uh, it was, of course, the writing of this book, Mendeleev stumbled on the discovery that would lead to the greatest achievement and would ultimately transform the whole subject of chemistry. The periodic table. In writing The Principles of Chemistry, Randolph wondered if there was a logical order that he could discuss the elements, i.e. that he had a, a table of contents and the books were just sort of a tabley type of condensed theme. Um, at this time, some 70 separate chemical elements had been identified, but no system had yet been devised to order them. In this, the field of chemistry differed from other disciplines. Organic chemistry, the study of carbon-based carbon, had already successfully organised by type, resulted in subjects that could be written about and taught in a clear, systematic way. In a similar fashion, biology found a means of classifying and ordering plants and animals. Mendeleev wished he could uh, do something equivalent with the chemical elements... Um, so that he could present his uh, book in a more logical structure, which is true. There had already been several attempts to organise elements, all thus far unsuccessful. They had tried to organise them by their properties, metal, glass, gases, so on, but it was regarded as too simplistic. Blah, it's too simplistic. But you needed something so complex. It's, the, the, the beauty of the periodic table is that it's, it's got everything, it's got this complexity, and it's just outside, it's just on the cusp of mental understanding. So you can look at something, remember a little bit, then forget about it, then do something else, and then go back and look. It's just on that, that edge between absolutely too simplistic, too complex, quantum mechanics is probably too complex, it's on the edge of something. And it means it's got, it's like these... Um, fairy stories or stories at Disney right so it's like Shrek Shrek's written there's something for the two-year-old the three-year-old they've just basically got a list of things and ticked all the boxes do we have have we done the 17 year old demographic the thrill demographic have we done the old grandparents demographic have we got, done it tick 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 so this is it's ticked all the boxes more most more probably some chemists try to organize them by atomic weight the English chemist John Dalton first developed the idea of atomic weight, which he he, he did do to, to explain um, uh, that, but then that went into, um, what's his name, Lavoisier. Okay. Um, the total number of subatomic particles in an atom for a particular element in, 1900, in 1803. Since then, chemists such as Johann Dobnia and William Orling had used this to try to find numerical connections between the elements and so organised them for different cases. Ah, oh bugger. 
Oh, bugger, because there's protons and neutrons. Neutrons, sort of, it's like, let's, let's do counting. One. One. Three. Four. Six, seven. Eight. Nine. Sixteen. And you've got these silent numbers in your counting thing, so you've only got one, four, six, and it's just crazy to try and get it across. Um, in March... 1666, the English sugar refiner and amateur chemist John Newellens presented a paper to the Chemical Society of his own idea for bringing order to elements. He had noticed that the elements were arranged in order of increasing atomic weight. Every eighth element was related or had properties similar to the first element of the group. Mm. Elements, he concluded, were in multiples of eight, like notes of an octave, and therefore christened the system the law of octaves. Perhaps it was the manner of his presentation and the fact that he was an amateur. But sadly for New Orleans, his idea was greeted with general derision and mockery. But see, it's, you just have to see, if you imagine uh, we've got a problem, oh, thank goodness we've got the environment of, you know, everyone, I think, would have to say, anyone who's probably listened to this podcast, you are perhaps a loser. Uh, but be buoyed by the fact that you probably have other losers who are just so in they would never listen to a podcast like this. And so everyone is immersed in wankers or people deriving, what do they say, mockery people, people who just, without knowledge, just... <sighs> I wanted to think, ah, oh, just do mockery. I just can't even bother thinking. Just go straight to mockery and stuff like that. Now, what's happened nowadays is that the internet is allowing the non-mockery people to just slowly optically fibre thread themselves out of it, sort of like a uh, a new dimensional state. I think they've got the um, that the internet should be defined as a state, but with sort of an enclave within the state is the intellectual people who can now, by internet, go while Donald Trump is tweeting to the masses. Uh, scientists are able to just quietly... I haven't spoken to you for a couple of years, mate. How is it? But, but All right. Okay, just keep it here alive. Okay, let's let's talk about this. Um, perhaps it was... Okay. Uh, one chemist asked if he could get his elements to play a little tune. Of course, you can. Absolutely. A- and elements of the spheres and elements definitely do. And what's so beautiful is that they actually do, it is vibrations, these little musical notes of electrons. It's beautiful. Another sarcastically commented that he might be easier to arrange the elements alphabetically, implying that the system was based on coincidence. No, it's just a knob. Uh, what, uh, he's maybe implying something, but he's actually proving he's a dickhead. I shouldn't say that if anyone's listening. Uh, what useful, uh, what's useful table, what's... Um, uh, what none of them realised was that New Lines had come very close to discovering a useful table of elements. Not really. And, and, and um, Mendeleev didn't actually devise a table. However, uh, he was so disheartened by his reception that he gave up the idea and retired from chemistry for good. You can imagine him giving the finger salute. In 1867, he worked uh, on his principle of chemistry's Mendeleev, was unaware of the efforts of Dobney, Audley and New Lines. He was simply trying to solve. Oh, God. And this, we're coming up to James Cook's Maxwell, which I just thoroughly... He's, he's Faraday. They've had this, these really nice 
scientists um, uh, a Nobel Prize winner scientist I knew who is not not Hertzberg met Hertzberg and what a gentle lovable science there are some lovable science Faraday Maxwell absolutely lovable of course here in the the triumph of wankerdom um, these are they're sort of oh they were actually nice people but that didn't help them did it children being nice is awful a problem with the structure of his book he was wondering if he might be able to relationship between weights and property development he tried ordering them by atomic weight and began to notice a pattern like Newlands, he saw the properties repeated themselves, which was uh, now the periodic table eventually got its name. Unlike Newlands, Mendel placed the elements in groups of sevens, but the basis of his scene was fundamentally the same. He put it in groups of seven because he didn't have the eighth element, because it hadn't been discovered. The advantage was that he could back it up with more data than Newlands had available to him. Moreover, Middleton had the confidence to revise atomic weights of a few elements where the scheme seemed to demand it. It was later proved right to do so. As the table developed, uh, new and hitherto unsuspected chemical relationships between the elements were revealed. By March 1869, Mendeleev had assembled over 60 elements as new elements, and he made a formal presentation of the scheme to the Russian Chemical Society. The entire thing is that you've got to sort of understand was Europe had all these, there were sort of Renaissance um, scientists come up where You'd stand up and they'd beat the stuffing out of you. Russia had a, had actually not... Russia was still in the feudal era. And so there was not the idea of um, the joy of taking someone's down, someone's scientist. They actually didn't understand what the scientist was there. Whereas um, the part of scientists on scientists attacking is part of prince on prince attacking, part of the Renaissance. And so... In a certain sense, Russia never went through the Renaissance. It read about the Renaissance and bought some Renaissance, but it's, it would be amazing. So it did, Russia didn't go through the Renaissance, didn't go through the Enlightenment. It was still stuck in the feudal era, and it meant that um, they were just really open. Predicting new elements. The new system did not win immediate acceptance. Its greatness only became apparent as time passed. The table had gaps, but Mendeleev predicted these would be filled by elements yet to be discovered. In November 1870, he went so far as to describe the properties of three of these elements, named Acker Aluminium, Acker Boron, and Acker Silicon. But, uh, of course, we also have um, uh, Actinium, Thorium, Proactinium. We have this, Acker, means. Within 16 years, all three had been discovered and named respectively Gallium, Scandium, and germanium. So, um, germanium, gallium, oh, gallium, germanium, uh, and then um, scandium is the first um, element between uh, calcium, scandium, uh, vanadium, uh, is it, uh, titanium, vanadium. Uh, goes across there. Uh, and uh, where is the other one? Germanium. Or gallium and germanium are, are right next to each other, which is really interesting. You've also got technician. Uh, the vindications of Mendeleev and his... So the gallium and germanium are two gaps right between each other. That's a, a pretty amazing. The vindication of Mendeleev in his table won him international renown. 
and the Russian chemist received numerous awards and honorary degrees from the university all over the world, which means, means that once you're recognised, there is a competition to recognise you. If a junior university has recognised it, it means that the senior university has to go up. Now, but the senior university has to second-guess what the junior university might do and do a bit of pro proactive preempting um, crap. And this is actually true with Davies' stories. Today, the periodic table contains 90 naturally occurring elements and 24 others that have been created in the laboratory. Uh, no, it's now 218, so... Uh, it would be um, 28 more. Mendeleev's concluded, uh, concluded, continued to teach at the university for a further 20 years after creating his table. He was an enthusiastic and popular lecturer. He's famous for his wild hair and beard, which he reputedly trimmed just once a year. We have to understand that um, uh, this was the time of Karl Marx and stuff like that. The idea that beard is beard's like a goatee at the moment, like it was a, a hairstyle. Uh, uh, Karl Marx, um, when he was dying, shaved off his beard. And when he shaved off his beard, he was—he said, "Well, I'm never going to public life again. I don't want and stuff like that." So it's really interesting. Uh, there, this shows uh, stupidity. There's things that I, they don't talk about the the um, um, the Volga story, which they love to trot out because you know uh, he wasn't a real Western scientist. He was a Russian. He probably, you know, did Russian dance and wore the hat, and he would have fired a nuclear missile if he had it. Um, uh, okay. Thought first and foremost as a scientist, Medlis had an interest in politics and the state of the nation. His political action got him into trouble with the government and the university, and he was forced to resign from his post in 1890. However, uh, he was such a nationally popular figure that the government felt obliged to fund him another employment in 1993. Sorry, in 1893, he was appointed director of the Bureau of Weights and Measures, a position he held until his death. Mendeleev, to this, uh, in his days, remembered as a man who discovered the interrelationship between chemical elements, and doing so transformed chemical into logical coherent subject of study. He's a man who lived for his work. I live for my work, like all you little students. You can, you can, you. If you want to miss out on everything in life, just be a dork. You can be a scientist, and of course, none of them want to be. As he said, "quote I look for peace and calm and work, and you will find it nowhere else. Pleasures flip by; they are only for yourself. Work leaves a mark of long-lasting joy. Work is for others." Well, I don't know. I think. Um, Especially if people work that out, they know that they can they can work you out and work out how to really upset you. That's my view. And it lives left out the um, a whole lot of you know salacious uh, crap. Thanks a lot for listening. another story comes to a close it's been a pleasure sharing this moment in time with you may you discover truly amazing things understand them and tell others thanks for listening